This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Mary Schrader talks about the Holy Spirit in family life. Is wisdom, counsel, or piety practiced in family life? One body, God's creation. Let's find out. Here's Mary Schrader being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. Right now, I want to welcome in Mary Schrader, and we're talking about stirring into flame the gifts of the Holy Spirit to light your life on fire. Mary holds a bachelor's degree in religious education from Franciscan University in Steubenville, and uh, she is married to Gordon Schrader, uh, stays home to educate their seven children, five of whom are currently school age, and... um, We've got uh, got her in to share some things today. Mary, welcome back. You've joined us before. You're not a newbie here. In fact, I think you're doing. Do you still? Do you guys still do your? You did a little show with uh, Allison. Allison, yeah. We uh, haven't been at it lately. Okay. Both of us, life is getting pretty yeah, crazy a little, right little now. Crazy. I understand that. So, well, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, I mean, that's our theme. The Carathon theme is stir in the uh, stir the flame, and uh, we're going to talk about stirring into flame the gifts of the Holy Spirit to light your life on fire. Talking, you know, Father Fred talked this morning on that on the gifts uh, briefly, and and so we want to talk a little bit more about that. I was going to say reveal my ignorance here, but I wasn't able to get on and listen this morning. I was having some issues with my computer, but uh, Donetta was saying someone was going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Has that happened yet? Um, no, or was not, it just no, the gifts that Father Fred was? Yeah, he mention? just t- he he kind of mentioned the gifts. Mentioned the so, gifts. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to know so, kind of what was already out there so we could yeah, build on it, that. It was just kind of he just touched on what they were. Okay. A little, little bit kind of examples, but, um, you know, because he, he talked about a number of different things, but that was uh, that was some of the things that he mentioned as well. That's so, good to know. Anyway, tell us what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they, uh, you know, time into you and your family life and how they help with you, with all the things going on in the busy world that we fa- face. Well, I guess we can start with just the overview of what they are, wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord, as they're mentioned. So that's what they are. They all kind of sound the same. So I was going to just unpack them. But um, I wanted to give a little bit of an overview first. When I was um, looking this up, I came across um, by Frank Frank X. Blissard, um, off of the Catholic Answers website. But he had this really good um, quote. He says, um, well, he talks about the gifts. He says, the gifts, according to Aquinas, are habits, instincts, or dispositions provided by God as supernatural helps to man in the process of his perfection. They enable man to transcend the limitations of human reason and human nature and participate in the very life of God as Christ promised in John 14, 23. And then he goes on to say that they what they they serve to perfect the four cardinal moral virtues, which are prudence, justice, fortitude and temperance and the three theological virtues, which are faith, hope and charity. Then this is the key. The virtue of charity is the key that unlocks the potential power of the seven gifts, which can and will lie dormant in the soul after baptism unless so acted upon. So I feel like that's really the the heart of what I want to say today is just that 
if you're confirmed, or even, I guess, baptism, if you're baptized, you know, confirmed especially, but you've got these gifts in your soul, but if you've never taken the time to unlock them, then they're just sitting there in their little package waiting, you know, mm-hmm. waiting for you. So, it, and Yeah, and that you know, we, did, we did talk uh, a little bit on the sacrament. Really, that was the other thing that kind of Father uh, Fred talked about is the sacraments, and again, in kindling the fire of the Holy Spirit, if you will, and really stirring that, stirring the flame. There's so much opportunity. We talked about the the idea that confirmation is one of those, you know, it's a great sacrament, but it's, I don't know how to describe it. I feel like sometimes it's just kind of... It feels many, like graduation out of yeah, the church, yeah, which is just, absolutely not. No, it's not. And, and the, I think the problem is, is the parents kind of go, yeah, well, we got to go through this. You and now do we're this. done. And, yeah, and, and, that, and that's it. And kids, um, and I mentioned that frustration that I had, is the kids kind of, you know, they're they're at a... They're getting ready for confirmation. They're at a confirmation retreat, and they're tapping their feet, looking at their watch, saying, you know, when are we going to get out of here because we want to do some fun stuff tonight. And it's not about – I mean, it's it's kind of a lost thing. And the fact that confirmation was something that was done – I mean, in the Eastern Church, actually, it's done at a very early age. Well, I was going to say, we, in some dioceses, I think it might be done with um, – right along with baptism. Yes. Sometimes they there just do are, it right away. I think 10 or 11 dioceses now in the U.S. that are changing and moving confirmation to a younger age. Now, I don't know if I know all, it's up to your bishop, but yeah. I mean, I can see the pros in that, in that, like, why wait to equip children? Sometimes out of the mouths of babes come the most honest and innocent and, and the best, you know, answers to things. Why, why restrict that grace? Mm-hmm. Why not just let it go. But I do feel like then, you know, you're baptizing, you also are confirming on faith. So you need to make sure they know that they're not just baptized, they're confirmed and that that's something extra and something more. Like my professor at school used to say that the sacrament of confirmation, like at baptism, you become part of God's holy family, right? You become his daughter or his son and you're in the family. But then when you get confirmed, you become part of his foreign policy. Like now you get to stand up and speak for God. Now you get to stand up and witness to your faith. Like it's kind of... I just really, that struck me. I love sure. that. <laughs> and it's a, that's an excellent point. And the other thing that we, you know, understanding the graces conferred that we get, receive with confirmation, too. And, and the other thought is if kids are younger, and why not give them the graces of confirmation at a younger age? I think that was one of the Absolutely. other. The other they can stand up and defend their faith. They can know what they're after. Sure. It's just a matter of, I'm not really sure. I, I'm. I wonder sometimes if they started putting it back further to kind of keep people coming, which is not really probably the best right. method. And that's, that is, again, that was something else talked about is the fact that it's just that kind of that last, last hurrah. It's like, let's see if mm-hmm. we can keep them hanging on and it's through confirmation we keep them. But a lot of times at that age, I'm finding, you know, just kids are still trying to figure out life. And Well, we also have this problem of the mold. You know, we kind of want to put people in this mold. I know some dioceses... Uh, or maybe it's just parishes, but they only confirm upon request. But then they have like a 100% reception rate of people that are confirmed. They continue to come to church because they asked for it and they want it. You know, as compared to like, we, we've had this problem where we sacramentalize, but not catechize. Right. So we're making sure they get their sacraments. But if yeah. they don't know what they're getting they're you know, it's like throwing the pearls before the swine. We don't, exactly. we're giving them all this great stuff, but they don't know what it is or how to unlock it and use it. Yeah. I think that the, the there's three things that have or need to happen, but I mean, we're sacramentalized, we're not catechized, and we're not evangelized or taught how to evangelize, I think. So those those are two key pieces that are missing that we need to, you know, again, I think the, we're seeing more and more of that. I think we're seeing more. We've heard talk of the new evangelization and all of the things tied to that, but there's we're trying to find better ways to really bring people 
to the church. And, um, you know, I think there's some really effective ways happening. And, and it's tough sometimes because I'm, I'm passionate about that, too. I see too many times I see moms in church with the kids and dads missing. Where mm-hmm. is dad? Dad's watching the football game on Sunday or, you know, it's I, I remember the episode of Everybody Loves Raymond where Raymond's in his shorts and T-shirt and he's eating a bowl of cereal and his folks come across the street. They're getting ready to go to mass because they're Catholic and and his kids and wife are going and they're looking at him, just kind of staring him down, going, you know, why, 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 why are you not going to church? I think there's just a, that's another thing that we need to address. And I think there's some things that are happening along those lines that are they're trying to we're trying to get to those young dads and help mm-hmm. them to understand the importance of we don't really start with the term spiritual leadership because that'll scare them off. But wouldn't you, be, <laughs> wouldn't you rather be a better father? Yeah. And how do we how do we do that? And sometimes it's not through anything that's organized or has a website or has a official name to it or it's in the bulletin or they talk about it at the Ambo Church. It's kind of that grassroots thing. It says, hey, you know, we just a bunch of us guys get together and talk about guy stuff. Would well, you like to join us? Like I heard um, at the retreat I went to, the parish mission a, little, a while back at St. Nick's, it was... Um, it's the casting nets, I believe, Chris mm-hmm. Stewart and, uh, uh, you know, the other guy. Yeah, I, I <laughs> but but yeah. he mentioned that they do whiskey and the word, yeah. which they would just get together and they would, granted, they had this whiskey, they'd try this whiskey or whatever, and then they would sit down and reflect on the Sunday readings and they would just take a little time and read them and, and everybody would reflect and then just share if they felt it. And he's like, you'd be surprised how whiskey really brings out your spiritual side. <laughs> but no, just coming together, you know, and, and just um, nothing was wrong. It was just a matter of, hey, take a minute. You know, focus on this, see what's happening. And then when you're ready, then you come come to Mass on Sunday and you've already kind of had some time to stew over the readings and really get a feel for it. And then you can kind of see a lot of times the homily will just hit right in. Maybe something jumped out at you and they'll address it in the homily. And it's just really neat to see how it all fits together. Absolutely. And there's that that is, you know, again, we talk about stirring that fire, stirring the flame. I mean, stirring that flame. And, and um, we have the opportunities to do that. And we have to we have to be bold. You know, and Catholic Radio does that. It stirs that flame for people who maybe are just kind of, you know, kind of going through the motions of things. But Catholic Radio is a great resource and a way to help people to learn and know more about their faith. And so, and you can help people, you can evangelize to people by supporting Catholic Radio. Mary Schrader, our guest, talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We talked about uh, different ones or what the seven are, but let's kind kind of break them down specifically. The gift of wisdom. Uh, how does that tie into you and the family life? <laughs> well, um, coming from that same Catholic Answers um, website, just kind of a brief description of what they say for wisdom. It's defined as a spiritual gift which enables one to know the purpose and plan of God. So we participate in the wisdom and goodness of our Creator who gives mastery over His acts and the ability to govern Himself with a view of the true and the good. So we know what's true and good. So I see wisdom as kind of figuring out how God designed things to work. It comes from observing others and your surroundings. It requires patience and compassion as well as confidence and detachment. And it, wisdom kind of helps you know what questions to ask. And so, for example, the other day... I had my children eating lunch outside, and we kind of they were kind of slowly eating lunch. And um, I left to go dig holes for trees. <laughs> and um, once they finished their food, they were allowed a piece of cake. Now I know you shouldn't like make your kids eat and give them dessert, but sometimes you have cake left over, and you before you give it to them, you want to make sure they have good food. So I said, well, you have to clear your plate. Um, so anyhow, um, Miriam was struggling to eat her soup and she brought her plate over to me as I'm digging these holes and she says, have I eaten enough? And I said, no, you need to eat at least five more bites, you know, or whatever. And, um, 
Now, what she actually did, I have no idea. But a few minutes later, she comes back and she tells me she changed her mind and she decided she really liked her food. So she had gobbled it up. That was her word. And she showed me her clean plate, you know. And so after that, a great struggle that she demonstrated earlier in not desiring to eat her food, I had the wisdom to know <laughs> that probably she didn't gobble it up. I knew there was no way she actually ate her food. Wisdom told me that was very unlikely. Her behavior was off. She had never used the terminology gobbled it up before and nor had anyone else. And the fact that her plate was totally empty was also a red flag. So I sat back, you know, I was able to like discern from this like wisely that even though I couldn't get a straight answer out of her, even though I tried my best to prompt her into telling me the truth, offering possible outcomes, like maybe she fed it to her baby brother, which happens a lot. <laughs> um, he eats anything. <laughs> or uh, maybe she dumped it on the f- ground or something, you know, but she's still young enough. She's not quite the age of reason yet that I think she doesn't realize that simply saying something doesn't make it true. So I couldn't quite get the truth out of her, but I knew wisdom told me, my observations, my patient questioning, I was able to overcome to the conclusion that she wasn't ready for cake because her tummy was still empty. So we had to either have her eat more food or other food or find some other arrangement. And that would be like compassion because I had said, eat your plate and you get cake. She didn't eat her plate. I know she didn't, you know, but then I'm like, well, we'll work something else out. So maybe you can still get cake because that's kind of my compassionate side. But that's how wisdom works. We look and we listen, we think and we ponder, and God blesses us with little tips and nudges to understand how things work. So the question then that I wanted to ask on all the virtues, you know, after I kind of talk about them a little, was how do we fuel wisdom? How do we kind of unlock the wisdom in our, in our hearts that we've been given with the, with the power of baptism? And I would say that um, we sit quietly and ponder would be a great way to come to wisdom. I mean, when you think about it, there's a whole book in Scripture called Wisdom. You know, and they talk about how it's radiant, unfading. She's easily discerned by those who love her and found by those who seek her. She hastens to make herself known to those who desire her. One who rises early to seek her has no difficulty, for she will be sitting at the gate. And to fix one's thought on her is perfect understanding. And vigilance on her account will soon be free from care because she goes about seeking those worthy of her. Like, it's so beautiful, you know, just the thought of her sitting there waiting for us. Like, we just have to seek her. We have to take the time to be quiet and listen. I say, turn on your senses in your regular routine. Instead of reacting immediately to things, take a moment to stop and listen, consider, and don't be afraid to show compassion. There's kind of a fine line in following the rules. You know, you don't want to be a pushover. But at the same time, sometimes you can kind of adjust things just a little bit to make them a little more breathable, a little more ready for, for those that you're dealing with. So there's, I can't remember the exact saying about the wise man who, you know, a lot of times is silent or ponders first before reacting, which is really kind of what you're saying here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the beauty of wisdom. So when you seek it, it's kind of to be quiet and wait. And we talked uh, about the gift of wisdom. How about the gift of understanding and how to tie that in? Okay. Understanding, they say, is penetrating insight into the very heart of things, especially those higher truths that are necessary for our eternal salvation. In effect, the ability to see God or see God's ways. So understanding also requires listening and patience. We need to take the time to talk with others. We need to hear the stories and gather all the facts so that it can make sense. And my example for this one, the names have been changed to protect the innocent, Mm -hmm. but one kid tattling on another. So we'll say, Stephen says... Susie is putting soap on Tommy's toothbrush. Like, oh my goodness, she should get in trouble, right? Now you'd think Susie needs to be punished for that. But after some detective work, we discover that actually it was Stephen that knocked Tommy's toothbrush into the toilet. And so Susie was trying to make it right by, you know, granted, she obviously that wouldn't solve the problem, but right. she was trying to fix the problem when the other kid was trying to pin it on her. <laughs> 
but that's kind of an understanding, like, what's the big picture? You know, it looks like this one child is being disobedient, but really, it's kind of, it's not. It's not what it looks like. So it's kind of taking time to to sit and ponder and really just kind of see what's going on. Oftentimes in life, things happen and they seem like really bad things, like you lose a job or your car breaks. And sometimes it just happens. But if we pray, sometimes God blesses us with understanding. Oftentimes, like a job is lost so we can get something better or God wants us somewhere else or in a different place doing something. I often pray for understanding so that um, I can make better sense of the circumstances I'm in because I feel like it's easier to bear a suffering if you kind of know why it's there or how it's making you better. You know, it's you're able to endure it more. Like, for example, we moved out in the country and um, <laughs> there's a lot of suffering going on right now. But <laughs> I, I just kind of look at it and I think like, OK, right now we're still waiting for our water to kind of get sorted out. We, we have a well, but it's not it's not good. I mean, it's OK, but it needs to be filtered. The water is it's supposedly drinkable, but it tastes terrible and it's yellow. So, um, mm, yeah, that'd you be know, a little tough. so I'm hauling water and I'm washing clothes, you know, taking them back to town and it's all this effort. But I'm like, why am I doing this? Well, because I, uh, and then I list all these great things that we have now that we're out in the country. You know, we spend all this time outside and we get to do all these things together and we have this space that's our own, you know, all these good things that are building up. And so I'm like, okay, I can endure this. And that's kind of how it is when we understand like how God works. I feel like I know, so if you know what's going on, but with that being said, God doesn't always grant me to understand. And sometimes the understanding is simply an affirmation. God saying, I'm with you in this, like say the case of cancer or terminal illness and all God is saying is it's my time to take this one. And so that's as much as we can understand at that time. You know, God only gives us, you know, what we can handle and what he feels like we need. So Mm -hmm. just something to keep in mind. But how can we fuel our understanding? I would say would be by studying our faith. The more we know the church teaching, the more it will make sense to us. And the more it makes sense, the easier it is to live. So for example, I understand that touching a hot stove will burn me. I've learned that hot hurts. <laughs> I get that. So I'm able to avoid burning myself on the hot stove. I'm extra careful because I know it'll hurt me if I do that. The same is with our faith. I understand that God desires us to be open to life. Sex is created for babies and bonding. Being open to both is how God designed it. Knowing this makes it easier for me to remain chaste and to use my body as God intended. I don't hurt myself or others by saying things with my body that I don't mean because I understand how it works and I understand why this is here. And it might not always be easy to make the right choice, but I know you know, that it's worth it. And I understand it. So it's easier, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because a lot of the things we talk about with the faith, you know, the church is so rigid. There's so many rules and so many things like that. And I think when we when we go there, one of the analogies you talked about putting, you know, I mean, if your child is going to put his hand on the stove, you're not going to go, well, he, I'm going to let him learn his lesson. I want to kind of, you know, teach him, no, it's going to be hot and you're going to hurt yourself. And it's not, you're not creating these rules to be mean, you're creating these rules out of love. I think that with the church, it's no different. We have, you know, these are things, why does the church have these rules? Because they love people. I think that was, a. I think it was Dr. Edward Shree that talked about that just recently in a talk he gave. And it was just, it was an interest because he had the question uh, asked of him, why is the church, when is the church going to change their rules on abortion and, and contraception and everything like that? It's like, really? But, you know. Or why don't they? And he said, because the church loves people, and it kind of floored the guy. And he had to sit and really kind of ponder and think about it just a little bit. Well, they can't say the truth just to make people feel better. We want to say – or not say the truth. We need to say the truth because we love you. Like, sometimes the truth hurts. Well, it does. And the other – you know, the thing – because I get that question at at times in prison ministry, and the the idea is this. I mean, I said, think about this. If you're driving down a a dark country road – and there is a big cliff ahead, and there's a curve before the cliff. 
Would you want that sign there, that that uh, neon sign or the sign that when you shine your lights on it, you're going to see it and it's going to tell you slow down because there's a curve ahead? Or do you want to just kind of drive nilly-willy and not worry about it? It's like the those, that's what the church does. They gives they're there. They give us those signs that keep us out of the ditches. The signs are painted on the lines are painted on the highways. We can still have the freedom to go. We have more freedom now because we don't. We know that if there's danger coming up, we know it's coming. Um, so I think people kind of look at that backwards instead of really truly understanding it. So um, the gift of counsel. So, uh, I think well, that's the next one, right? Yeah, so it is next. Council's so. kind of the tricky one. I don't know. It's <laughs> as I've been studying it, but um, it's described as a sort of supernatural intuition to enable a person to judge promptly and rightly, especially in difficult situation. It perfects the cardinal virtue of prudence. While prudence operates in accord with reason as enlightened by faith, the gift of counsel is under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the will of God so we can follow his will. I see counsel, you know, we kind of think of advice. So for my children, I offer them counsel. And I feel like the, f- the more I form my conscience and study the faith, the more I'm able to offer good counsel, you know. But now when I counsel my children, I feel like I counsel them all the time and they never listen. <laughs> it's like you have to keep repeating, but that mm-hmm. comes up in our other virtues, um, fortitude, which is coming up. But mm-hmm. in my mind, discipline is kind of synonymous with counsel, at least with family life, you know, like I'm giving them, you know, One's hitting their sister, and I'm like, let me tell you something. You know, look at how they feel. Look at how they're reacting. Do you think that's wise? You know, I'm kind of trying to get them to come to the conclusion that, oh. Now, granted, it's really hard with little developing minds, but mm-hmm. you start young, and maybe by the time they're older, they'll be, like, enlightening Starting me. to figure it out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do we fuel counsel? I would say ask God. Um, you know, the Bible verses, knock and the door will be opened, ask and you'll receive. Um, we just need to ask God what we should be doing. And the kicker is we have to keep asking, like that annoying lady in scripture that pesters the judge until he finally caves, or that the other one where it's the persistent neighbor that gives his friend whatever he wants because he's like, oh, no, I'm in bed and my children are asleep. And he's if he just keeps knocking, he's going to get him whatever he wants because that way he'll finally leave him alone so he can go back to bed. So it's like we have to remember that we have to be persistent. And that's the hardest part, I think as far as counsel goes, is continually asking God, what do I do and how do I do this? We have to be patient. But also there's wisdom in not offering counsel if you are not completely sure how to act in a given situation. And the older I get, the more I realize I don't always have good counsel to give. (laughs) And I'm very honest about it. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sure. I guess there's wisdom in knowing when you don't know, then it's better to not try to take that on, if you will. Truth, yes. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening on your radio computer, smartphone app, or Amazon Echo, please know we'll be right back with more about the Holy Spirit and family life with Mary Schrader. Mary Schrader. 